Welcome uh, to the Dot Matrix podcast. I'm Justin. And I'm Sean. And this is uh, long overdue episode 60. (laughs) (laughs) First one for 2015. Didn't we always do like a year end or year preview podcast? And we probably missed that a long time ago. Well, it's funny because we posted our last one in November. And I'm thinking, oh, well, we were... We should listen to it because we probably said we would do one at the end of December or early January, and we probably yes. just never did. Well, shall we preview what twenty sixteen is going to be now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeesh, only four months away. Wow, I, I, I just don't know what happened. Life, life, life going by so fast. Yeah. Gosh, wow. I feel. Uh, it's funny because when we were. Setting when we finally set this date, and I went back online to uh, take a look at our last one, and I, I was actually pretty shocked that it was in November. <laughs> yeah, unless we did one and just never posted it. But Do I don't you know. Think? I don't know. That wouldn't have happened, would it? No, I don't think so. Well, I guess when I do the description of this one, uh, I usually log on, and if there's something in draft form, then I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> It is entirely possible. Because <laughs> we'll have to rename this to 61. <laughs> oh, well. So, we got... Either way. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, either way, 60, 61, it's all, it's all good. We have a lot to talk about. Yes, yes. Uh, as we normally do, I don't know what's on your list, and but mine's pretty standard. Like, I figure there's elections coming up all around. The big news, yeah. Um, there is what's going on in the States with the Republican (laughs) uh, race and, uh, I mean, even the whole Clinton downfall kind of downward trending thing is an issue too, I guess. And then we have our election here up in Canada federally coming up in next month and it's already been going on for a month. So, you know, I was thinking about that and, you know, because we're, you know, we're going to talk about these debates and things. And and when you s- listen to them just jabbing at each other, um, you just can't help but think that, you know, life is just kind of going on. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? In the background, like, right. these, these, these guys are squabbling when life is actually just progressing and continuing on. And eventually, we're in a month or so, we're going to have to start thinking about making a decision <laughs> right. if we haven't already. Right. And it's kind of weird that, you know, all this campaign is going on in the background where while we're just living our lives, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we'll get into the election campaign, but it's sort of like, I mean, I finally watched the debate last night, uh, last night's debate, which is the Globe and Mail debate for the federal election in Canada, Today, as like I said to you before we started podcasting, I streamed it online when I was at work. <laughs> and and it's funny, though, because, I mean, what I understood from some of the coverage of the debate, um, and I saw it so much on when I was actually streaming it, like, they're just yelling and yelling over each other. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's a kind of yelling that, you know, if you were just at the playground or at the park, you would just tune it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, they focus on the cute dog that's 
peeing in front of you or something. Like, you wouldn't focus right. on the yelling, screaming kids in the jungle gym. Because you yeah. just know, oh, you know, they're just going to do their thing. Yeah. So uh, it's exactly what um, what yeah, it feels like right now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But is there anything else in your mind that you want to talk about that wasn't politics and Ooh. election related? Um, you know, I, I always think of, you know, what, what kind of crazy is going on around the world. And there's, there's, you know, it's a little bit related in the sense of, you know, like the whole migrant problem. and uh, Yes, yeah. Uh, but, um... You know, I mean, there's so much that's happened in the last year. I mean, Bill Cosby. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that woman in, was it Kentucky, Kim Davis, who's been like, oh yeah, you know, trying to not uh, grant marriage license to same-sex couples. I guess that's the whole thing, too, that happened in between our podcasts. Like, yeah. it's legal to have same-sex marriage in the States, which I think happened in between our two podcasts. I think it did. Yeah. So that's huge and and uh, about time, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, ugh, it's hard to go back and kind of think of you know something that's kind of been huge in the last number of months. But but uh, what is your take on what's going on with the the refugees and the situation? Well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, one of them is it's it's right now it's being talked about as this european issue you know mm. they're going across the mediterranean they're going to all these countries trying to make it to germany austria places like that when you know i saw this this uh, guy's article in mclean's raised like european problem and he's like no because he was trying to just illustrate the fact that for whatever reason, it's like top news right now about the the, the refugees uh, storming, you know, Europe essentially from North Africa and the Middle East, where you've got places like Jordan, Lebanon, and uh, you know the the direct neighbors of these countries in turmoil and crisis that have already been housing hundreds of thousands of people right. in these big tent camps and stuff. And yes, I mean, we're talking about, there's some really small countries like Croatia just today or yesterday. It's like, no, we, they can pass through, but we're, we're completely overwhelmed. We can't handle it all, which I'm sure is true, but there's a lot of finger pointing right now between the different countries. Right. And then you have England, who's just like, oh, we should all be doing more. And everyone's like, well, yeah, but you guys have it the best, because that's another waterway to cross. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> right. It's easy to say from way up there, but um, I, I think it's, I mean, what can you say other than I think Canada has to do way more. Uh, because when you think of uh, the number of people we've brought in in the past with different conflicts, I don't think we've really hit those kind of levels yet. Right. Or that level of commitment like we have. Right, people keep talking about... There was a certain time, I forget which conflict it was, was it in Vietnam or Cambodia or something, yeah. where, where, where there was just that political will and then they were, you know... Uh, flying out refugees on military planes or something and um, 
and people were making the analogy of that time to now and why aren't we why isn't there the same political will to do that now and um but it's interesting because i think you know it's easy for us or not us but you know canada to sort of say we could do more uh but kind of like but it's interesting i guess it's the british government who's saying everyone should do more and, oh and, and that's and crossing I mean. the water and yeah. us we're the critics of our government who's actually not saying people should do more because we're not doing anything, right? And, and I mean, it did come up in the, in the Globe and Mail debate and it's been coming up for days now in terms of when this all has been unfolding and in, in the, in the horror, horrible images you're seeing on the news and on television. And, right. And, and they talk about it in on the debate. I've seen, I've heard also interviews from like people who are in international development and refugee kind of, world um saying that the whole you know the whole stance from the 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 government or the conservative party because i guess no one's really in government right now because there's an election right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um saying that it's a in the prime minister or the conservative leader has been sort of saying there's all this security issues and and we can't just open our floodgates and have hundreds of thousands of refugees come without any screening and everyone knows that no one is saying no screening. That's the thing. Right? And, and I mean, it would, it would all just be the proper channels anyways, but just let's bring physically people here and do that screening or do whatever you need to do. And, 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 it, and I, I tend to agree there tends to be a bit of fear being sprinkled in yeah. on this all and connecting two very separate issues uh, of security and terrorism with refugee policy. Like, it just seems... Uh, there seems to be a hyperbole being expressed about to have the... Re- as the reason for inaction, right? Mm-hmm. And I just... That I don't get. I think... Um, like, I'm not used as a Canadian public member to be talked to in that way. Right. Uh, like... I think most of us kind of get that there's a nuance here or that it's not so dire around, you know, you oh, you make a decision and suddenly 100,000 terrorists are going to come to the door or that, what do you mean? It's, uh, you know, no screening or heavy, heavy screening. Well, there's going to be screening. Like, like it just, like, I, I just feel that, that that's the kind of politics and rhetoric you hear in other countries. Yes. Not, not here. That's right. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. I think uh, the tone and the actual directness of how much they want to play the fear card is a, is a little bit alarming. Um, you know, and you know the conservative opponents keep pointing that out. Uh, even the you know like Rick Hillier, right? Yes, yeah, I saw that article. Or I saw an article about his comments. Yeah, and I think he's totally right. I think you know people are like, oh, well, he called terrorist scumbags and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, well, that still stands. It's not. <laughs> I you have to talk to the people that are in the know about these things, and if they if they are collectively saying that we're not doing enough as a country, or we are you know sidestepping the issue, or literally just down uh, trying to make it sound better than what it is like the immigration minister does every day then 
Excuse me. I think um I think there's a problem. And you'll never you know, one thing you can't say though is that the conservatives never uh speak their mind. You know, the problem is they speak their mind and it always sounds so shitty. <laughs> I mean, it always sounds so awful and and dour and, you know, um so I think Hopefully the pressure will stay up and they will bring in way more um, people from, with the government's help rather than, you know, just relying on the private donors, right? Or uh, whatever you want to call it, private, you know, people who, who, who do it themselves, you know, those who are able to do that, which is amazing. But they look at the ratio between the private and the publicly funded way of doing this and and we're way way low on the public side so which is what i've been hearing in interviews and things over and over and over again so yeah that's kind of a big thing and it, it's kind of crazy when you think of the numbers like millions of people displaced and and uh i mean yeah i mean it's just when you have so many people just in areas that they don't know and trying i can't, I can't even imagine what all that's like you know like you know, we just take for granted so much our the comforts of our lives, you know, that right. we work hard for. But you know what I mean? That, yeah. And I can't imagine, you know, just not knowing where I am and, you know, especially trying to look after a couple of kids or something. Well, it's one I mean, you're pointing to something that I think people were starting to get a bit upset about with uh Stephen Harper sort of quoting how Canada has the most generous immigration and refugee policy in the world, and whether or not that's true or not, the the contentious the can people were contending or arguing that uh, you cannot put the number of immigrants you allow into the country and the number of refugees you allow in the country as the same number as one rolling up into one number because they're very different numbers, right? Like you were saying. Even as an, uh, an, an if you come to this country as an immigrant, there's uh, an, a there's a certain level there's certain characteristics of that which is possibly you've chosen to come to Canada possibly you know you're coming from a fairly peaceful situation and you're you know immigrating for economic means or sure. or you know family reunification or something right. like that right that's a very different physical mental emotional journey that i'm fleeing for my life with the clothes on my back with the children who i love and want to protect uh, underneath my arms crossing a border that doesn't that doesn't necessarily want to let me in and i don't care which border it is i just got to get out of here that's a very different place and you cannot put those two numbers together and say we're the most generous country like it just they're very different things um and i hadn't really thought about that because we often talk about refugee and immigrant immigration particularly the services that support newcomers to this country right in the same breath Mm -hmm. uh and they're very very different i mean not i mean immigration from every country is going to be different experiences but immigration and refugee uh situations are in and of themselves very like you know apples to trucks right Mm -hmm. Uh, and i hadn't really thought about that in that kind of way until this 
current situation and, and the, the dialogue around it has come up. That is interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think, you know, they're going to be forced. I mean, we'll see who gets elected. And yes. you know, the other parties are talking about all the things they're going to do in this situation. So it'll be interesting to see if, it, if one of them get elected and the Conservatives are, are gone. Yeah. Well, let's turn to the election then, like the yeah. Canadian side at least. Yeah, um, sure. Um, I, I I'm not quite sure where you want to start. I mean, I've got. I don't have to say I don't have a good grip on the platforms yet because one, I, I don't think all of them have been released in their fullness way to like download the PDF and start to really sink your teeth into them. Right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I've got thoughts around the debates. Yeah. And, you know, some thoughts around sort of the, the leadership styles to date. And, and I would say even the messages that we're hearing from the leaders. I mean, you know, the why I was happy to watch the debate on the uh, on uh, streaming on my computer as I was also doing work emails and other <laughs> things was that there is not. And the content wise, the messages had, what, didn't shift from debate one to debate two or from you know what you see on the press conferences and the news coverage it's a, so i think i have a good handle on at least the positions that are out there right now but but um so the content hasn't changed you know, from one debate to another one so for me i have more comments more thoughts about the debate the debates themselves yeah but well, once you start there okay um all like what i'll say is i'm very disappointed in the debates. Yeah. Yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, there's a lot of big levels there on that. We'll, we'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there was so much controversy and coverage about how, oh, Stephen Harper and the Conservatives, they're pulling out of the consortium debates. And, right. And, you know, every election debate, from as far as I can remember, there's been this consortium of media conglomerates, you know, CBC, CTV, Global, and others, who come together as this consortium and host one English and one French debate. Maybe sometimes there's been a few more debates, but it's always been that consortium. And it's always, and they tinkered with formats. Like once was it like a couple years ago, a couple of elections ago, they were sitting yeah, on a, at a table, right? Yeah, yeah. Versus like, you know, at podiums and all these different things, right? And, and so I guess, you know, the conservatives are like, you know, we need more debates. And we need more different formats. So we're just going to pull out of the consortium debates and we'll force, you know, everyone else to sort of, you know, start to play on some other kind of debate formats, right? And so I didn't mind that. Like, I still think there should be, you know, a very official debate that makes sense or whatever that everyone agrees to. But, you know, like, why not open the playing field to, like, a whole bunch of different debates? And yeah. we talked a little bit about this when we hung out the other day. Like, McLean's one was boring as hell and uh, there was nothing new about that format, although they kept touting, like, Paul Wells was on the National and the Ad Issue panel, like, the week before the, that mm -hmm. debate, saying, oh, we're going to mix it up, and it's like, no, they were the desk, you sat there, you spoke monotone like every other debate moderator, and everyone else stood at a podium, <laughs> and, like, it was the same. Nothing about it was different. No. Um, I mean, Elizabeth May performed well in that context. It was great, like, and we... Uh, and like clearly she's the only one who at least when i was listening i'm like i learned something new about those issues mm, oh yeah right? totally yeah and and it, she really brought the message home that she's more than just a one issue leader yeah. so that was great yeah and then you see the second debate globe and mail and 
um, in Calgary uh, about the economy, which was the one last night, and it was just a, ye- a yelling match. It was just a yelling match. And just like the first debate, Justin Rudeau kept saying, well, not a little bit less often, but, you know, no one trusts you. Like, you're, that's not true, or whatever, right? And, right. And, 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 and now I'm not talking about content, I'm talking about style, like, sure, yeah. and I guess that's what happens when the content's the same, like, you actually then pick apart style a little, and Tom is <laughs> like, a little bit cocky, trying to yeah. be clever in his jokes, and they don't really, they, they seem a bit really too, or they seem too clever, so yeah. they don't come off well, yeah. right? And... Uh, and then you can tell, like Justin Trudeau is really trying to wait, waiting for the moment. You've had, you've had, you've had deficits in good years. You've had deficits in bad years. The only time you've had surpluses is in election years. Like you just knew he was practicing that for days and days <laughs> to get that out, right? Um, yeah. And and so the debate format, regardless of what they try, the leaders still try to just answer the question and go back to their talking point they want to say, right? Like. Um, so it was frustrating, the format. And two, I was starting to think a lot about how the topics are... Like, I'd, write, I'd rather see different topics. Um, like, the economy. There's one on foreign affairs coming up, I guess. There's yeah. one on women's issues, which is likely not going to happen, it sounds like. I, like, like there's... Mm. And, and I, I mean, some of those, I, I, I think, are really valuable. I like, I'd like to see one entirely on on First Nations relations and our history uh, with mm. First Nations and how the parties would look at that. Like, that's an issue that I think needs a debate. Um, and I'm kind of tired of, like, issues around the economy. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, yes, we live in a world where the economy is an important piece of, the, of what we do and, we, and how we manage money and budgets. Yes, yes, yes. But... I wouldn't mind, like, I was just thinking about the, the, just today, like, actually almost just, like, now. Like, I would like a debate on the topic of dignity. Like, like, how, like, a values conversation. Like, how does something like dignity play into each, each uh, party's platforms? Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about that topic of dignity, how does your policy around childcare, affordable childcare, how does that inform that? Or how does dignity play out in your refugee policy? Mm-hmm. Like, I think people just talked about the policies, but I th- I would like to have a conversation or a debate, uh, although I, maybe it's not a debate, about what values are influencing those policies. Because I think um, then you'll start to understand a little bit more about uh, why you want deficits or not, or why is the economy important or not, or is you know, oil and gas. Like, it was weird. There was, they had a conversation about pipelines yep. and th- in the debate. I don't know if you were able to catch this piece, but it was all about, like, for some reason, the whole thing wasn't about whether or not you were for or against pipelines and why. So the values behind that. Right. But it's more like suddenly everyone's, like, harping on Stephen Harper, pun intended, uh, <laughs> about, like, oh, well, you say you're friendly to the oil and gas industry, but you haven't built a single pipeline in 10 years. I'm like, that's not the point. Like, the point is whether or not you believe in pipelines or not. Then suddenly, every, you just take for... it's Suddenly, you're taking... It's positioned in that debate, like, oh, no, we're all pro-oil and gas, but look, 
he's not your friend. He said he was your friend and he didn't build a kilometer <laughs> pipeline. I'm like, but isn't your position anti-pipeline? Anyway? Like, I just, or what is your position, yeah. right? Like, um, so that was kind of a weird twist. But, you know, like, I'd, I like more unpacking of the values behind because then you start to see a real difference between probably the Liberals and the NDP, which people are starting to quite not quite understand right now. Uh, and I'm still confused where they where their values are lying. I know where their where their values have been traditionally, but how are their values aligning or or influencing their policies today? Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm confused about. And, and uh, I like a conversation about that. You know. There is a lot to have conversation now that you mentioned that that they don't. Although during the Globe and Mail one, even though I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but what I did see was the Walmsy, the editor or whatever, he he was way more blunt with the leaders, I found, than Paul Wells was uh, from the Claims one. Right. He would push them a bit. Yeah, you're right. You know, in, in some respects, he, he did. And to me, <laughs> that that's the, that was decent. And then, you know, in some respects, I'm like, maybe there just shouldn't be a debate. Maybe it should just be, like... Just answer the guy's question? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, although I haven't watched all the interviews with uh, Peter Mansbridge for each of the leaders. Right. Um, although I saw the Tom Mulcair one, and, and, I mean, it was kind of, like, he didn't really press him in the way that the editor of the Golden Mail pressed, you know? So that's... And I would like to see a little bit more of that. That's true. You know what the odd thing was? He really seemed to press Mulcair more than Trudeau and and Harper, I thought. Mm. And he pressed Elizabeth May too, because uh, this Mansbridge because okay. he's like, "What are we talking about here? We're talking about how many MPs do you think we're going to need? How many are you aiming for? Two, three, five, ten? He's like." You know, uh, ideally and 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 hopefully twelve to fifteen. Mm. It's like okay, and he kept. I don't know. It seemed like he had less patience for her and Mulcair than he did for Trudeau. Oh really? Okay. And uh, Harper, which was kind of bizarre, but I just think that you know when, especially when they talk about things like deficits, it's like, well, wait a second. Every government has probably a deficit at some point during their term. You know? I mean, right. whether they inherited them and never paid them off. I mean, I think the Conservatives were deficit every year until the last one or two. Something like that, yeah. So, they can't, you know, when, when Trudeau talks about having a modest deficit for the first three years or something, I don't think the others could be like, well, that's just, how, how can you do that? I mean, when they've all done it, you know, like, yes, right. the NDP hasn't been in power federally, but the Conservatives all done it, and the Liberals had it before that until they were starting to do surpluses, after they basically axed everything, every social service there is. But... I, I find that, unlike the American debates, which we'll get into as well, it seems like the Canadian debates just never quite gel like the way they should. I think the production value to the debates are shitty. 
Um, so then the, the, I was watching the follow up on that on MP, on the National with the ad issue panel, which I do enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I missed it last night. I'm gonna watch it. And Peter Andrews started. Well, it's funny. This was in Calgary, but you wouldn't have known because all the backdrop of that of the studio was like images of Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't, so, yeah, it's it weird. didn't matter it was in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, sorry, you were going to finish, I didn't, I interrupt, you were going to finish a, a point around sort of production value and the yeah. states. I mean, it just, they all, except for actually Harper, maybe because he's done it more in recent years, but he seems way more at ease, actually, during the debates than the rest. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I will... I will give him that for sure. And that will always play in his favor. It's almost like he enjoys it. Like he rarely gets flustered. And when he does, he comes on really strong where it's like, oh shit, you know. And, you know, he made a couple points last night where I was like, that's hard to argue. (laughs) Whether I agreed with it or not, it's kind of hard to argue, you know. Like in the first debate where they were talking about sovereignty, which are good points and and Stephen Harper came out kind of on top by saying, why are we talking about this? Yeah. Like, this is not an issue. Like, this is not a priority for anyone, and it shouldn't be, and yeah. let's move on, right? And, yeah. But, I, you know, I, whenever I watched Tom Mulcair in the two debates so far, I, I think back to the images of, like, uh, Richard Nixon in that first debate against Kennedy, Kennedy and yeah. how he was just so awkward and didn't know how to engage with a television monitor and video camera and and talk and how to engage the audience in at home or whatever in relation to this whole debate and and i think i see when i see tom mulcair that's what i exactly think of like he looked at the at the he looks directly at the camera which is like into the soul of canadians watching like a a second or two too long every time you know like yeah like I think they should just practice that regardless of content. Just practice that and then have them turn around one second faster than you should normally <laughs> that you do. Just, just to get that rhythm going because it's, it is it's as much of an art as it is a science to look at the camera and in, like, I think people should watch, like he should be watching sports casts. You know yeah. how when you watch like Sports Center, and then they go to the panel, yeah. and people are talking about the, the latest games of the NHL or CFL or whatever, and commentators know how to do it really well. They kind of talk to the host of that panel, and then they'll look at the camera for a little bit, yep. and they look back. It's just the camera is like another person in that conversation, not the person who you're like really talking to uh, for 90% of the conversation. It just doesn't make sense, right? Like. <laughs> I don't know. They should have like sports and analysts do coaching for like TV or something for debates. They're pros. They're they're absolute pros. And I I, I got really just like uh, the big eye roll moment for me in this Globe and Mail one was the the way that Justin Trudeau started off. He was just like friend or whatever he said. He's like, ask yourselves, are you better off? now than you were 10 years 10 years ago and i thought no don't do that we've heard that so many times i mean that's right out of american debate playbook like you know i i just just his whole approach was just so cheesy and um i just Yes, he does inspire a bit more on the vision side or, you know, the holistic approach, but 
way too much of that and way less of the uh, just straight to it, you know, this is right. what we're going to do. Although he did do, I thought he did better in the debate last night right. than the McLean's one, although he was kind of being a little interrupting bastard there for a while. Like he kept, he was a little too aggressive in that sense. Well, that's what some of the, review, the reviews were. They were a bit too aggressive. I mean, I think you're right. I think he just was better. And he, you know, if you take just, again, style, not substance, Justin Trudeau does come off as the most likable of the three. Yeah. Uh, it helps when your head doesn't, your hair doesn't look like a piece of Lego on your head. Yes, yeah, true. But, uh, <laughs> nice hair. Anyways, but, um, yeah. Where I agree with you in your point about he comes off a little bit too that way because the content, the substance hasn't come as much as as it should. Then you can bounce off the charm, right? Yeah. And the emotion. Uh, it works well when you have both. Uh, and I mean, he got a bit better this time, but it still wasn't as like to me. I think the mastery of the topics, uh, which is different than what. Trump was saying last night, apparently, on the American debate, that he, he basically, from what I understand, conceded that he doesn't know all the issues, but he will be well-prepared or surround himself with the with the right experts when he becomes president. Right, yeah. And that has never... No one has ever said that before. Like, you, you usually step up to the plate to go for the nomination with some sense that... Or some, whether or not real, reality-based or not, but you at least think you have mastery of the issues. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But I mean, before, but that was that would be a perfect transition to the to the American <laughs> debate. But I do want to say one thing. Um, that I was talking to someone at the office today about how you know it's risky for someone like Justin Trudeau to sort of say you know oh well you know we're gonna have three modest deficits. It is risky. And I have to say I do applaud him for that because I am not of the nonsensical, non rational point of view of the Canadian public that deficits are bad. Like, uh, maybe it's because I have a business degree and I've often been chastised and saying they have a certain point of view for having a business degree, but but deficits aren't always a bad thing. And for and I mean even beyond an economic or in a business perspective on it, like deficits are something we created as human beings. Like, we as humans created this concept of deficits mm -hmm. because we created money, because we created the transactional system that we use for money called the economy. Like, and suddenly we were, we're slaves to it. Like, we're slaves to something we created. We created this whole thing. So right. why are we now uh, saying, oh, putting our hands in the air, saying, oh, we, we give up, like, we should never have a deficit. Uh, it's not a natural thing. It's a human-made concept. And... And and so where there's not there's no God isn't telling us never to have deficits. It's not a religious thing. It's not a mother nature kind of natural weather storm that we just can't control because a hurricane's <laughs> coming. Right. Like, like, like. Let's be real. It's deficit and surpluses are 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 part of the natural ebb and flow of a system that we have manufactured. Yeah. And so. My sense, if you're going to be rigid and say never, never deficits, then never, never budget, ne never, never surpluses, and everything should always be zero. Then we'd all be nonprofits, which is wouldn't be a bad thing. But like, like you, ha if you're always pro profit or, or surplus, 
And by nature, you have to like you have to have deficits at times. Like it's just yeah. yeah, it has to balance at some point. And I think it's just really absurd. Um, and I so I really get angry when when people say deficits are bad. I'm like, the answer is no, is no, and the answer is also it depends, right? Like yeah, yeah. And so it frustrates me because we are we are enslaving ourselves around something that we have all ourselves created. So like it it just bugs me. It it is frustrating. You know, and and whether would you call a modest deficit? I I don't know if he's ever put a number, but I don't know how many million that's going to be. Um but you know, uh Obama did that. Right. And they got their economy going. It took some time, but they did it. Um, and even Harper did it when after the uh, 2008 recession. So, you know, they owned, they we we owned part of GM and they owned part of GM. And, you know, we, when they started to sell their shares back, when it started to become more profitable again. So, I don't know. I mean... I, I agree with the whole frustration over the, the economy crazy because it doesn't it doesn't make sense like you say that we should be just all of a sudden victims to our own our own madness like you know if the stock stock market didn't trade for a day like it doesn't trade on the weekends why doesn't it why does it stop trading after 2 p.m. Or whatever the case, you know, right. just because the time changes or time zones. I mean, it's all kind of weird. It's like, well, we could just make it do what we want in a way if we really wanted to. Um, but I think, you know, what we should probably do before moving on to the U.S. one yep. is, because we talked about this a bit when it started. Yes. But talk about our predictions. Because if I remember correctly. yes. You earlier on said, no, 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 conservative minority. And I said, you know, I don't know. I think it might be an NDP minority. So what do you think, considering the fact that polls in recent other elections around Canada have been really disastrously wrong? Yeah. Um, yet right now we're at a, almost a three-way tie, you know, give or take couple of percentage points they have at any given day what do you th oh and here's there's a three-prong thing okay okay the third prong is so predictions number one yes two do you think the polls are a good indicator and number three if it is a minority and a barely a minority what do you think the prospects are for a no confidence vote and then the opposition parties take them down like partner and take whoever won down for the confidence of the house. The <laughs> uh, polls first. I'll, I'll talk about the polls first. Uh, at least my opinion. My my opinion is I, I can I don't trust polls anymore. Yeah, uh, I don't either. I just I I think they have to recalibrate the science behind polls. Yeah, uh, because there's not a reliable. I don't feel right now there's a reliable way to gauge um, uh, 
uh, act or what action you take and decision you make at the poll itself. Right. Um, you know, everyone talks about like phone polls versus online surveys, you know, like all of that. They just haven't gotten the math right. Yeah. And I agree with that. And also, I just think people are, because there are more than two choices now, um, it's harder for someone to sort of say a week out, or even I know polls change a week out, you know, but sort of like, you know, what you say to a pollster versus what you actually do is very different um, today than it used to be. I think, you know, if it was like doing a poll 50 years ago, like, why would I lie to a pollster? I'll just tell you what I'm going to do. And likely there might be some accuracy that I would vote a certain way and then actually that's what I do. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot more to that today. I think I, there's a lot less trust in the world. Yeah. Uh, people lie for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Or, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just I think there's a lot going on that we just... And the people who do the science behind polls haven't just haven't quite figured out figured it out yet. I think okay. there might be some time in the future where they kind of equal they come to some sort of equilibrium again, and they figure it out. But I don't think it's now. I think there's too much. Like, like once Christy Clark got a majority again here in British Columbia, I threw my hands up in the air about polls. I just didn't know. Well, that was the most egregious difference. I think the fact that. Everyone and all the pundits, all the reporters, they were all, and everyone you talked to was like, oh, she's done. She's just done. Like, your dog could get elected before her. You know, like, yeah. that's what people were saying. All kinds of crazy shit like that. And lo and behold, she got even more seats than she had. So that, so the, yeah, I'm surprising. So that's the polls. Uh, Election fraud. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, predictions, uh, you know, I, it's, it's such a tight race. I, I, like you said, at the very beginning, I thought, I just, I don't see a way out of, I, I, I was thinking for sure, conservative minority. I just don't think there's, an, I think there, we have eroded away from the majority. Um, I, I, I'm not as confident as I used to be about that prediction. Not that I want that prediction to happen, but mm -hmm. I might, if we're putting this on a podcast that's going to go live on the internet and be out there, I still feel we might end up with a conservative minority. Okay. Um, I mean, that's totally plausible. Totally plausible. In terms of the minority question, uh, my perspective is it depends on who's who is the minority government? I think if it's a conservative minority government and then they lose a no-confidence vote pretty quickly, my gut is we'll go into an election before the conservatives would relinquish power and let the two other parties kind of come, someone else, you know, uh, form government. I mean, then we're in the same issue before where the, the whole... Uh, you know, a coalition government could have come into play. Um, I think if the NDP or Liberals were in government, we might have a different scenario. Um, and if there's a, I, I, I actually think if a if a Liberal or NDP government um, were were in a minority situation, they would hold up longer, at least a couple of years, because the 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 other party would prop them up 
long enough mm-hmm. because they're closer that way. They're they're definitely more aligned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the word. Uh, politically, philosophically, no one wants Stephen Harper and the conservatives back in on either of those parties. So they would just let it. Uh, they would hold each other to account a bit more carefully. So although they wouldn't be in a coalition government, they would probably act somewhat with some sort of tacit agreement not to topple each other. Um, but I, I would say, but it wouldn't come to when. But when that government gets toppled, I don't see uh, the other party taking hold. Any of the other parties taking. I would think they'd just go to another election, like what we had for a number of years when there was minority governments, right? have election every two years almost oh i see yeah um at least that's my prediction what's your take on those three questions your three pronged questions well i think very similar uh poll wise you're supposed to disagree with me well (laughs) i will a little bit okay kevin will be happy that we disagree (laughs) that's right are you listening kev (laughs) uh poll wise i completely agree i think there's, you know, they've been making so much uh, news and hype about, like the CBC every day. It's like this vote, you know, this this pollster kind of almost this separate app they have or something or whatever it is to follow the polls, you know. Oh, really? Okay. And just up, get the update on who's winning in this and all these different categories, and it's just like, oh, it's just madness. Like, it, it it's. Especially if it's too close to call. If they're all within three or four percentage points, to me, that is the margin of error. Like, that is... If one of them is at 30, and one of them is at 33, and one of them is at 34, to me, that doesn't say anything. It just says that they've just talked to a lot of people who think that... Um, they, they know who they want, and but there's about the same number of people who think they know what they want, you know? Um, I think that that can be completely ignored unless someone, one of the uh, leaders, said something just incredibly stupid, like just, just came up with some really bad decision, and then, you know, I could see... Like talking about old-stock Canadian? <laughs> Okay, so I just saw, you're going to have to explain that to me, but I saw okay. that just today, and I had I, I didn't read anything. I just saw this headline, and, it, and there's a, a little bit of an uproar with that. But uh, Finish your prediction, okay. then I will end with that. We'll transition to these American debates, or Republican stuff probably mostly, and then, move, and then probably close it out, because we're already at 46 minutes. <laughs> well, we never are short, but it's, it's fine. It's true. That's why people love us. It is the, true. The three our fans, who, Kev loves us. Who lives? Who lives for, for our podcast? Um. So, okay. So polls to be ignored. Um. The, uh, my prediction. Yes. What is your prediction? NDP minority. Hmm. This is why. Okay. Do tell. I think if they keep Quebec. The way the same number of seats they kept and and even got more. Okay. I think that would do it right there, because they've got a lot of support in BC. They've even making inroads in Alberta. So. I think that 
it'll be a NDP minority. There's still going to be tons of crazy people out there voting for conservatives. And although as much as I make fun, I do respect that. Uh, I, I get their reasons. I don't understand it, but I get they have their reasons. Um, and I don't think, I think the liberals, as likable as Trudeau is, and I don't mind, I have nothing against the guy. I just think he's too surface level. I think, wait, he's 40. Wait until he's 50. Let's see how he is in his 50s. He'll get way more stately, a little bit more, a little bit more ex experience, frankly. I mean, so are you saying he's just not ready? <laughs> I am saying he is just not ready. And those conservative ads were as as funny as they were. I actually thought those were funny. Um, and I like the NDP version of it, the conservative uh, uh, time to let him go or something or whatever right. they said. But it, but it still ended with, but nice hair though. I'm like, it's probably another line that cut. It probably would have been more accurate about that hair. That was too easy. Um, but... Uh, I, I don't think these throngs of liberal supporters that we're supposedly seeing here and there, I, I think they're more pockets than waves. And I think across the country, I still think they're not, they'll get more seats maybe. Like they have what, 75, 80 seats or something? Yeah, I forget the number. Well, I think they, they may do better than that. But I think the NDP have more widespread support. And I think I think we are experiencing a little bit of Harper conservative fatigue overall. I personally think that. I think a lot of people are finally coming around to their their shenanigans and, and the things they try to get away with. Um, so that's why I think it, it will be NDP minority. I think it's 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 just an eventuality. I think they made so many inroads last time that I think they can do it this time. And um, I, 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 I think if it's going to happen, it's, it's this one. Okay. And, uh, and so what's your take on the minority thing? Right. So the minority situation, if, if it was an NDP minority, I think, like you said, yes, they would probably be propped up by liberals and even the bloc... And, uh, you know, whatever greens get in there. Uh, but, like you say, it probably only lasts a couple years. Um, I think because the NDP has been open to coalitions, and they continue to say that, uh, I think the liberals would actually consider it as well. They go around saying, oh, no, 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 we're on party, and da, 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 but... If they were, say the polls really showed that they were being shitty, right. they would totally open that door again. Right. And um, so I, I, I think it would be kind of a similar situation. But it depends how much of a minority. If it's really slim minority, then yeah, I think they would maybe be propped up for a couple years at most. If it was a strong minority, like a... You know, say they, what is it, 345 seats now or something? Yeah, I forget what the number is now that they've increased. It, it used to be 301, but now it's... Yeah. 
So it's gone up. So I, it, you know, if if say the Liberals got like say eighty seats, and the uh, NDP got you know maybe what hundred and fifty or sixty or something, and then what does that leave? Whatever for the Conservatives. If it was enough of a difference, I think it would be a really uh, testy, but maybe productive parliament for maybe a full term mm. because i think you're going to have a lot of motions that the ndp will go for that the NDP, the liberals will probably support right and and maybe there might actually be um partnerships and and things happening like when layton was around and he he was uh, really disappointed in some of the conservative budgets, so he went in there and he said, "Well, hey, no, you need to do this and add this." And and Harper actually worked with him on it on a couple of times, and I was really shocked. But I think that's because they actually just they didn't actually dislike each other so much as their policies. Right. I think, you know, I think they they actually got on decently as people, and I think that's actually more important than people realize. Oh, it's very important. Mm. You know, a lot of people think it's all just business, but but obviously that comes into play. So I think the only difference between your scenario and my scenario is uh, that I think it's going to be NDP minority. However, if it is a conservative minority, uh, absolutely there will be a, a, a as soon as possible a vote to uh, a non-confidence vote, and they'll ask the governor general to dissolve parliament and figure something out something out different although i'll never forgive Mikhail jean for um for allowing uh the, the conservatives the, yes. to prorogue i think that was one of the biggest missteps in our democracy it was basically like david emerson crossing the floor on <laughs> swearing in day yes and then that it just that was so bad that and she let that happen i was i couldn't believe she did that yeah i, I will never never forgive her for that <laughs> well you know uh i mean i i don't disagree with that statement at all uh what i what i would love to see is i would actually love to see a coalition government between the ndp and the liberals i would you know and yeah, I, and I, I think Justin Trudeau right now is definitely sort of like totally re- never, never, never. Yeah. But I think he's just, I think he's just posturing. He is totally posturing. I think if Tom Mulcair had a minority and, and could see a majority stable government for four years, if he got into a coalition and asked Justin Trudeau to be his deputy prime minister, I could see the Liberals you know, having a third of the cabinet posts and the NDP having two thirds and, you know, that sort of thing. I, I could see that or, you know, or, or, you know, Tom Mulcair is prime minister and Justin Trudeau is the minister of foreign affairs or something, you know, give him a pretty high post kind of thing. Right. Cause I don't think it's, it's as dangerous as say what happened in Britain, right. With David Cameron and the Lib Dems, because <laughs> I mean, the, they just had the election. David Cameron got his majority government, yeah. and the like, Lib Dems bye. were like <laughs> dead in the, the water. Yeah, the, those <laughs> those voters eviscerated yeah. the Lib Dems. Of course, Labour lost huge amounts to the separatist party up in Scotland. Yes, uh, but 
Uh, so that aside, all that labor and, you know, uh, separatist thing aside, like, it was a very dangerous move for the Lib Dems because they were not politically at all aligned with the conservatives. And so even their, I, my sense was that some of the base um, totally put them to task for doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the base of either the Liberals or the New, New Democrat Party would be so upset if the two joined forces in a coalition government. Yeah. Uh, because in the end, although they ha- have different parts of the progressive vote, they still represent the progressive vote of this country. You know? And I yeah. think the progressive vote, whether you are a liberal progressive vote or you're a New Democrat progressive vote, you would like a stable progressive government for the next four years. And it could be argued that since Leighton, Mulcair has brought the NDP more cent- central. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and Trudeau's almost brought the liberals more left, yeah. especially with the marijuana stance. Right. Which is odd. I haven't really heard much from the NDP on that stance. I think it goes without saying. <laughs> well, I think they just they just don't want to get drawn into the debate. And, yeah, and that's it, probably probably a good idea. And unless there's going to be a national debate by, I don't know, some newspaper about marijuana, that's not going. I just I'm assuming they're just trying to avoid that issue. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. So I, I mean, we're almost at an hour. I don't, ha- you know, I, I want to talk about the Republican stuff, but actually, I don't know too much. I didn't end up spending a lot of time watching the. I didn't watch the CNN debate yesterday or the other on Wednesday night. Uh, all I know is production value was way stronger because they were in Ronald Reagan's presidential library, library with yeah. the big Air Force One jet in the background. I'm like, well done, well done. But uh, and other than what I saw in clips about. Um, Trump look at that and face. Look at that. <laughs> and I mean, I, I just awful. It is awful, but I also don't understand why Carla Fiorino is even a legitimate candidate. Anyways, she's just as illegitimate a candidate as Donald Trump is. Really? Frankly, oh really? yeah. Well, because I, I, you know what? I know nothing about her, so I'm just curious. Well, because she, she is a. Uh, business person just like Donald Trump uh, I mean she was the head of Hewlett Packard oh um, and was I think fired uh, from oh. Hewlett Packard and she talked about you know huge growth of revenues and everything but most of that came when they bought out Compact you know that computer company back in the day and no, and people th- and most people think that was a bad business move anyways oh but whenever you merge with a company, you buy out a company, of course your profits and your revenues are going to rise because you've just absorbed a company. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know and I mean? hopefully there were profits to have without if there was no serious debts, though. Exactly. Um, so, but all that aside, the, the record of Hewlett Packer aside, I just, and you've heard me say this before, I generally uh, do not believe a business person. Just because you're a successful business person means you are fit to be president of a country or uh, the leader of a government uh, because government is not business. And sort of like that Ben Carson guy, he's a neurosurgeon. Great, perfect, wonderful neurosurgeon. But I don't want you to be president. Like, I don't want a real estate mogul to be president. I want someone who has understood 
what is the role of government and what decisions you have to make. And, and I'm not saying life for politicians or, but, you know, and I know there's a lot of criticism about people who are in politics all their lives. Um, and for me, I, I mean, I'm not a big politics person, but I am a government person. I think someone who knows how to run government and knows that the, the kind of conflicting decisions you need to make on a day-to-day yeah. basis to run a government in order to serve the people the best that, that those are very different decisions than when you're deciding how best to cut open a person's brain and you have great hands to be a neurosurgeon yeah or to know how to start and develop a, a golf course or to build a high-rise building or to buy and sell tech companies mm. like it is not the same and the more that people believe the story that you're a great business person, which means you can be a great leader of a government, uh, the more people like uh, uh, Trump and Fiorina or whatever, uh, Fiorino, all are legitimate candidates. They are not legitimate candidates. A professional mascot person Mm. could be a great mascot at games and revs up the crowd, but does it make them a right to be president either they're like that that person with that qualification of a being a great fuzzy mascot at baseball games is just (laughs) as qualified as donald trump if (laughs) you use that art if you use that like they're different professions right uh that's you know no that's my take you're totally right i i didn't watch it i might just for you know elaine said to me yesterday there's those who are watch it because they're serious and there's those who watch it for pure entertainment value because what they've got, what, 11 or 12 of them up there? I mean, come on. Yeah. It was 23 million, like, whatever I think, whatever the viewers million. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. like the highest event, ratings event of CNN history. And we know why, because of Trump. And people want to see what kind of back ass word thing he's going to say. And, um, <laughs> you know, you, you and I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than it was basically like, well, I didn't mean her face when I said, look at that face. And, you know, apparently he had some bad things to say about Jeb Bush's wife because she's Latina. And, and they argue about the fact that, you know, Jeb said, oh, well, you wanted to come put casinos in, in somewhere in Florida and I didn't let you. And he and Trump was basically like, he says, uh, that's not true. But even if it was, if I wanted casinos, I would have got them. I know my people. <laughs> Well, you know, I watched, <laughs> part of why I was a bit late getting here today is I was watching uh, this week, Washington or Washington Weekly or This Week in Washington with Gwen Eiffel on, okay. um, on PBS. And they were oh. doing analysis of this debate. And they were showing these clips about, you know, that whole, like that, you can't elect that face or whatever you talked right. about, whatever he said. And part of his rebuttal in the debate was, you've got a beautiful face, you're a beautiful woman or something, is what he said, I think. I, not quite verbatim, but that was the clip they showed. And then the the reporter who was doing the analysis about it on Washington Week was saying, you know, it's interesting because, you, you know, Donald Trump knew that this question was going to happen because, you know, Carla Fiorino is on the stage. Right. You know, he was going to have to answer to that comment. So, you know, he must have been prepping with his team what to say. And then, so clearly, when he said, you have a beautiful face, you're a beautiful woman or something, 
Like, that was his planned response to that. It wasn't like something you're like, oh, I'm suddenly floored. What am I going to... I was so mm. blindsided. He was ready to go. He was ready to go. And he said... The, the, com- the journalist was sort of saying, you know, the, it was... Co- it, in her, his perspective, it was received quite tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Like, and Gwen Apple says that, like, you know... And this is when Gwen Apple said, she said, uh, you know, I guess, you know, Donald Trump must be surrounded by people who just say yes to him. Of course. Right? And so... Uh, he probably thinks it's totally professionally appropriate to tell someone you're beautiful, even in a business context. And it's, for the most part, inappropriate. And it's, he's probably it's largely, in, yeah. He's probably in, he's in situations where people, he probably said that, and people kind of go, oh, thank you. Yeah. And so he himself is not surrounded by people um, who, uh, who will, you know, he is surrounded in, in his business context with people that will be very different and will react to him differently than in a political con- or in a government context, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's always here hierarchy, hierarchy, hierarchies, and there's you know CEOs always get what they want, and so does so do secretaries of departments or ministers in our can- in Canada and stuff. I mean, there's always some of that, but in government, it's a different beast. You yeah. know, like it's. Um, you don't always get what you want. Yeah, you know, that's and, true. Uh, and people will tell you to your face if your if your policy on North Korea is full of shit. Like <laughs> people will tell you because yes, your ego might be bruised. You might be worried to tell your boss this, but if you're if you don't say that you're wrong, the one part of the part of the risk is that you might get bombed, right? And that's very different than oh well our printer sales might go down by 5%. Like, very, very different. So different. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... I, I couldn't agree more with all that. I, it's funny that they start having debates a year out. Over a year out. Right. Just to figure out who they want their nominee to be. Well, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, to Michelle yesterday uh she's my girlfriend which is also new oh yes in the last year there, is. <laughs> there we go uh, but anyway she's made a really interesting point when we was talking about this um that you know you know it, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition to put the canadian debates and the election with what's going on in the states with the primaries right now because in canada it's a general election and yes we're talking about leaders and their personalities and their characteristics and their style and everything but still they're, they are spokespeople for a platform of a party, of a position around how to govern. Yeah. And that's very different than what we're seeing right now in the Republic, and particularly with Donald Trump in the mm-hmm. race of the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more heightened, this difference, because it's about personalities. It's about people. Because, yes, you know, if Scott Walker becomes the nominee, nominee for the Republican Party, part of what he's saying out loud is his policies right now might influence the platform of the Republican Party because he's their presidential nominee. But the platform for the Republican Party will be created with a whole other system in relation to that party. They're just looking for the right spokesperson to be mm. their nominee. Mm-hmm. So right now, it has not, it's very little to do with substance. It has to do with whether or not you like Carla Fiorino's face or you like, you know, uh, the mm. fact that Jeb Bush, you know, uh, admitted to smoking marijuana when whatever other candidate you know pointed the finger and tried to you know call them out on it and whether Donald Trump will look like an ass or not right 
it. Like, or he speaks his mind, and people love that. Mm-hmm. Like, no one really cares what he's speaking his mind about. People care that he, they like the fact that he speaks his mind. And that's what you're trying to evaluate now, which is so different than actual substance and election. Not and to policy. Say that, policy. And not to say that our leaders in Canada are doing that well either. But it's a different phase, which I hadn't even thought about. You're right. It's just it's about the individual people and whether you like them or not. And that's what you need to do that a year out. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Because, they, yeah, they have their party leader, but they only know their party leader when they make the nomination. Yeah. When we have our party leader for years. I mean, like Trudeau was party leader for years, whether he's prime minister or not. And he was prime minister almost that whole time. It's such a different system. I don't know what I like better sometimes when I think about it. But but then, the if you look back in the history, they produced a Bush, then a Clinton, then another Bush, and then maybe another Clinton. So it's not like it's been Man. that different, really. Which is kind of weird. You think, over all that time, it's like really out of 350 hundred, uh, million <laughs> Americans, that's all they could come up with over these last three decades you know a bush clinton a bush and maybe a clinton again like that's that's fucked up like that's really fucked up i think well you know and that's why i think part of what's the appeal of trump although he's part of just that same establishment that creates clinton bush clinton bush kind of scenarios is there is a lot of no, and I hate to use... I, I actually don't like the term like you hear all the time in, in my world when you're in the, in the university, power and privilege, right? Yeah. And, and But like the term just irks me because it sounds so elitist in the term. Oh, yeah. But there is reality to the fact that there are systems and that, that have been put in place by people that really um, benefit and affect certain characteristics of people and are there to suppress a whole bunch of other people, right? And there is that dynamic that has happened in our systems. And so people who are, who are being supported and benefiting from the system definitely are in that position of privilege. So the Clintons, the Bushes, all that, the political elite people talk about. And I think the refreshing thing around someone like a Bush is like, oh, finally someone in the other 350 million Americans who aren't a Clinton or a Bush yeah. might actually be president. Yeah. But it, the problem is, you know, yes, he might have come from a humble roots. There might be some, some of that biography to him. I don't know Bush's history. Uh, sorry, Trump's history. But he is in now in circling in that sphere that the system protects and benefits mm-hmm. and supports, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so although he's talk like he's speaking the minds of the real people and the uh he is well within that established part of the system right um and so that's challenging um and of course that's the other problem with the american dream is that everyone believes that they can be that trump person that that they can have that biography Mm -hmm. and rise to the top Mm-hmm. right and um and that's not the case no and actually and i always we always i was thinking about that too is like you know like not everyone wants to be a millionaire people just want some people just want to be comfortable and happy well yes chances are they will be more happy than 
billionaire is good, but all sorts of other problems can come into play. But um, for me, I think it's just time. People have time, they're more happy. <laughs> yes. Money, one thing, but if you have time to go with it, oh, what a luxury. Um, well, yeah, maybe we should wrap it up here. Yes. That was a really great way to come back to uh, doing what we do best. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get back on this horse when, in yes. about four or five weeks from now, when the uh, four and a half weeks, I think. Post-election, post-boredom. Yeah. But you and I, though, should uh, live tweet the event or something. Oh, oh, totally. I mean, we always get together for the federal and yes. uh, elections on both both sides of the border. Yeah, but that's the only time you actually have Twitter activity. I know. <laughs> I don't use my Twitter very often. I just... It's just... You know, there's some things you can use, and it's just you're used to using it, and you just do it, like Facebook or whatever. Twitter, I just haven't made that connection with. I force myself sometimes. Like, I'll, I'll post a few things, or I'll use it to yell at MLAs that kick my ass, or... Yes. You know, or Jason Kenny, I've gone after him a couple of times. When they made musicians temporary foreign workers. Oh, right. That's right. I remember that. I mean, that's... See, there's all these things that the conservatives do that no one else would bother to do. And when they made that move, I mean, they just... They just threw things into a tailspin. Like, they... They cost, they immediately costed bars and venues and of different types money. And they've made it more difficult for promoters. And they also made it more difficult, most of all, difficult um, for those coming inside the country to play music uh, to get the proper permit. Because... That finally got overturned. Are they, or they finally changed their mind on that, didn't they? Or is that well? That's actually I was wondering because I heard something about that recently that they were going to adjust that, and I hope so because I think a lot of people came, and myself included, a lot of people came down on them for that. Um, there's you know there's a few measures that they have done that I it just it just boggles the mind. So that's. That's why I want to see them go, but we won't. I, I won't continue that soapbox. But. Well, I'll search for uh, those articles because when I do the description, I'll probably end with that. Approach. Yeah, and I'll find I'd be a interested. Search for an article and put a link there, and I'm sure the article will say <laughs> policy overturned because of mad tweet from at Sarah Lover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. Perfect. Let's wrap up this puppy. Love it. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And this has been The Dot Matrix. And you can find us at thedotmatrix.com or I think you can still search for us on iTunes for The Dot Matrix. We should be there. We should be there. And uh, we'll catch you post-election. Sounds good.